Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Lord, the most important person we say good morning to this morning is you, Lord. We say good morning, Lord. And we greet you and thank you for being here with us. And we look forward, Lord, to how you're going to teach us this morning. You're going to show us wondrous things out of thy law because you are a wondrous God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn now, if you would, please, in Genesis chapter 17. We begin this chapter Genesis 17, and follow along as I read, and from verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations." Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, for thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to their seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep a covenant, my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man-child in your generations. He that's born in the house, or bought with the money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant." God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, shall her name be, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? All right. Now, in our last study, when we were in chapter 16 here, we saw in verse 2, very important as we looked in verse 2, because that's where we really saw everything about how Sarah went wrong. Verse 2's got it all. And we saw that Sarah saw that her problem was caused by God when she said these things. Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. So her words, restrain me for bearing, from bearing, really revealed to us what was in Sarah's mind because she saw that the problem of her infertility 
or not bearing was, as she put it, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. So she saw that God was the cause of her infertility problem. Then she ran out of patience and she went wrong by trying to fix the problem God had caused. It's always where we go wrong when we try to fix the problem we think God has caused. And she saw God must be so clumsy as to restrain me from bearing that I just have to step in there and undo what God had done. And before we go off and blame Sarah, I mean, let's remember the times we've all been in Sarah's shoes. We've been there. And it was a long time for her. I mean, this is something like maybe 70 years that Sarah has waited for this child. As, you know, and during those 70 years that Sarah has, she's watched as her relatives, you know, they, they had the baby bump and, you know, they had the parties and then she watched as one friend after another gave birth to a child and Sarah and Abraham are trying and trying and waiting and waiting and nothing's happening and Sarah doesn't get pregnant. And so that was a huge problem that certainly came between Sarah and God. That's very clear from the text when she says, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, this problem came in between Sarah and God. She was blaming God for causing this problem. That was a huge problem that came between Sarah and God. It was a huge problem that came between Sarah and Abraham. And this problem also came between Sarah's grandson, Jacob, and his wife, Rachel. And when she didn't get pregnant, you might turn to that, it's a few verses over Genesis 30, turn to that. Genesis chapter 30, verse one. There is, we're gonna look at that because that was really showing us the problem that came between Rachel and Jacob over the issue of her of not having a baby, her not getting pregnant. So we read in this verse and so to see this problem that came between them in Genesis 30, verse one. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister so he envies me, and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. <laughs> those, those words from Rachel to Jacob, you know, give me children or else I die, that's like, you know, fire torpedo one. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's right. And so Jacob, you know, he being the level-headed, conciliatory person that he was, he just let that torpedo just go right on by, right? <laughs> not exactly, <laughs> not exactly. That's not actually what happened because Jacob, those words, that just ignited him and he reached the boiling point and he couldn't stay longer, he couldn't stay any longer silent about this and so he says, oh yeah? He says, well, you know, fire my torpedo one. And that's verse two, you know. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. You know, that means that he was fired up. And he said, am I in God's stead that who hath withheld the fruit of the womb? And we can just picture Rachel at this part and her anger. And what does she do? She turns and she grabs her maid, Bilhah, and then just throws him at Jacob with the words of verse three. And she said, behold, my maid, Bilhah, go in unto her. And she'll bear upon my knees that I may have children by her. And we can picture, you know, Jacob, you know, catching Bilhah as Rachel throws her at him in verse four and five of Genesis 30. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid to wife. And Jacob went in unto her and Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. So a son is born, you know. And Rachel takes the boy, you know, in verse six, Genesis six, and names him. And Rachel said, God hath judged me 
and hath also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan, which means judge. So, (laughs) in a very lovely way, Rachel names the boy. Dan, or judge, the meaning of, at last, God has judged me to be worthy of this son, and he heard my voice. Now, this is just a charming history of where one of the tribes of Israel came from. Dan, you know? I mean, poor kid. I really. I mean, can you imagine when other kids asked him, you know, how'd you get that name of Dan anyway? Anyway, no one else got a name of Dan, judge, you know? And so what is this poor kid going to do? He's going to hang his head. He says, well, I got born because of an argument (laughs) between my mom and dad. When my mom couldn't have me, she grabbed our maid and threw him at my dad and ordered him to make a baby with her, and out I came. And my mom, still angry, he named me Dan because she felt God had judged her and finally given her a son. That's where I came from. That's how I got my name. And his friends would say, man, that's really sad. You come from a really dysfunctional family. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just another one of the delightful histories of the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that something? And which shows the manifold problems of sin in the life of Israel, in the life of Jacob, which shows the manifold graces of God because this is the people that he has adopted for his own. And this is their background. And speaking of the manifold graces of God, that brings us to the next important character that we've studied in chapter 16, Genesis 16, who was Hagar. And Hagar, this all-important verse in chapter 16, verse 13, where Hagar is so impressed with God that she gives God a special name. And it says there in verse 13, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seeth me, for she said, have I also looked after him that seeth me. So from that verse, we see how Hagar had taken the time to look back over her life And she's just absolutely amazed. She is one stunned woman. She's stunned at how God has cared for her enough to see her in her despair. And she's looking at her life. She's looking back over her life, as we saw last week, and she just saw the manifold mercies of God. They came to her like waves on a beach, one right after the other. So all those mercies, she saw all those kindnesses, that God saw, and she could sing with David, King David, the words of Psalm 113, verses Psalm 113. That's her psalm. That's Hagar's psalm. She could say, praise you, the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. For the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens, Who is like, what is she talking about? What is this psalm talking about? Stop where God is. He's high above it all. But then it says in the verse five, who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold, to see the things that are in the heaven and in the earth. And when Hagar comes to that verse of the psalm, she sings it again. She says, that's me, that's me, everybody. God humble himself to behold me. He humbled himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. That's where I was. And then she said, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust. Hagar said, that's me again. And lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even the princes of this people, who maketh the barren woman to keep house 
and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise you the Lord. That's actually Sarah's refrain. She sings that refrain. Sarah does later on. All right. So now in verse 16, Genesis 16, we see how Hagar has returned to Abraham's family at this point. She's returned to be Sarah's maid. She's returned to submit herself. That's what God told her to do. Return and submit. She's returned to submit herself to Sarah. And those are very important words that God told her. Return and submit. That's the only way. I mean, if Hagar would have said, there any other way, God would say, there's no other way. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You have to return. You have to submit. And so she does it. And she returns and she tells everyone the story of what happened and how God met her. And Abraham finds out how God has met Hagar. And Hagar tells Abraham that God named the child Ishmael. On second thought, maybe Hagar didn't tell Abraham directly. That would not be a smart idea for them to be speaking together. So anyway, he finds out. And so Hagar probably told Sarah that God named a child already, Ishmael, and Sarah tells Abraham. All right, however Abraham found out, Abraham finds out that God's named the child Ishmael before he's born, and what we see Abraham doing in verse 15 is that it says, and Hagar bare Abraham his son, and Abraham called his name, his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. So we see that Abraham obeys God's directive that Hagar had told him, and he names the child, he names him Ishmael. That's what God said to do. So in verse 16, this chapter ends by telling us how old Abraham was when Ishmael was born. It says in verse 16, Abraham was four score and six years. Sounds like the Gettysburg Address or something like that. Four score and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Now, when we come to the next chapter, in chapter 17, verse 1, we're told another bit of information where it says, and Abram was 90 years old and nine, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am God Almighty, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. So, when we compare the last verse of chapter 16, and we see that Abraham was how old? Oh, good, I'm so glad you're responding again. <laughs> okay, so I'm not the pathologist. All right. So he's 86 years old when Ishmael was born at this verse. And then how old is he when in chapter 17, verse 1? He's 90. All right, so that means that we have to subtract 86 from 99 to figure out how much time there was between these two verses, right? So we don't, we don't remember, we forget, so we get out our calculators and subtract. And how much is it? Oh, very good. Okay. <laughs> very good. All right. So 13 years has happened between the end of this chapter 16, two verses, and the next one's 13 years. What's that mean? <laughs> That's a long time. That means it's a long time. That's what it means. It means that, so we figure this out because we're so intelligent. And it means that there were long stretches in Abraham's life when he didn't see the Lord. That means that Abraham's life was not made of these daily visions of the Lord. In fact, that means it was rare for Abraham to see the Lord. It means Abraham practically never saw the Lord. And if Abraham said, I just can't go on in life unless I see God, then Abraham would not go on. 
because Abraham practically never saw the Lord. He had these long stretches of time when he had to exercise faith and believe God, even when he didn't see God. And during those long stretches of time, Abraham did exactly the same thing that we have to do in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. He must believe, and he's a diligent rewarder of them that seek him. And speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter said, whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said to Thomas in John 20, 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So in other words, he says to Thomas, just only because you saw that you believed. That's that. But he says, you know it's better? He says, you believe without seeing. And that's what we see here, this 13-year span in Abraham's faith. It's not based on the experience of having a fresh vision of the Lord. And neither should our faith be based on an experience because faith is the substance of things not seen. So they hope for the evidence of things not seen. Now, as a matter of fact, keep that 13-year span in mind, and we read now in Genesis 17, 1, and Abraham was 90 years old and nine, and Abraham appeared to Abraham, said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me, be thou perfect. So it's been a long, at least 13 years, that Abraham hasn't seen God, and after those 13 years, we read that he's now 99 years old, and the Lord appears to him. Now, first, when God appears to him now, In this verse one, God reveals to Abraham a new name for himself. He says, I am the almighty God. That's a new name in Hebrew, El Shaddai. God tells Abraham that he is the all-powerful. It means Shaddai, all-powerful. He's the omnipotent God. And here we see Abraham, he's 99 years old. Now, when most men reach 99, I can't even imagine it. (laughs) <laughs> for, you know, but we all kind of look for the comfortable rocker on the porch, you know, a little bit of this drug, a little bit of that drug, whatever, and to settle in for the final approach and landing, you know. But a man who's 99 years old really feels his age. I mean, I feel my age. And so there's one word to describe how a person feels when he's 99 years old. He feels worn out. <laughs> he feels weak. Turn to Psalm 38.10. There's a great description here of how you feel when you, you get old, and I'm not even that old, but I feel old. But anyway, Psalm 38.10. Now here King David is describing in Psalm 38.10. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me, as for the light of mine eyes, it's also gone from me. Now this is a real, real woe list. <laughs> and we all have our woe lists. And when you get to be 99, you got a long woe list. You know, this is like the patient, the Psalm 38.10. This is like the patient who sits down with the doctor and the doctor sits in his chair and he gets his pen in his hand and he gets ready to write down everything that's wrong in the patient's chart, you know? And so the doctor starts off and he says to the patient, now, what seems to be the problem? You know, like he's really listening. No, but anyway. So in Psalm 38.10 is what the patient says. And notice the list that's in Psalm 38.10. We can picture the patient replying to the doctor. Well, to start off with, there's my heart. And the doctor says, your heart. The patient says, yes, my heart. The doctor says, what's wrong with your heart? And the patient says, my heart panteth. 
you know? And so the doctor writes down arrhythmia. <laughs> and then the doctor says, what else? And the patient says, my strength. And the doctor says, your strength. And the patient says, yes, my strength. And the doctor says, what's wrong with your strength? And then the patient says, my strength faileth me. So the doctor writes down asthenia. Yeah, that's what it is. And then the doctor says, anything else? And the patient says, as like it says, it's Psalm 3810. It's the patient says, mine eyes. You know, you see that in Psalm 3810? It doesn't say my eyes. It says mine eyes. You know why it says mine eyes? Because this is obviously an old Ashkenazic Jewish woman. And she says, mine eyes. That's, she didn't know that they, she would never say my eyes. She'd say, mine eyes. You know? <laughs> Oi, mine eyes. Uh, doctor, are you writing this down? Write this down. Uh, as for the light of mine eyes, it also, you know, make sure you write that down. It also has gone for me. So Psalm 38.10 is a description of Abraham being 99 years old. It's weak, weak, weak with lots of physical problems, a long list, a long woe list. And so that's very significant when we think about this. In verse 1, when it says, and Abraham was 99 years old, and he might as well be saying Abraham was a very weak man, very weak man. So in this great weakness of Abraham, we read these wonderful words. When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to him. And the way verse 1 reads, we can just rephrase it to say, and when Abraham was a very weak man, the Lord appeared to him. The way verse 1 reads is as if God was waiting for Abraham to be very weak to appear to him with this great new revelation that he's going to give. So here in the life of Abraham, Abraham is about to have this highlight of his life. He's about to have a pinnacle in his life. And God's going to appear to Abraham and reveal a new name for God to him. In fact, several names. But God waits till Abraham is very weak to do it. And that's what God does to us. That's what he does to us. Because as if God's saying, as if God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, I was wanting to appear to you earlier and give you this great blessing in the past. But Abraham, you were too strong for me to do that. And I needed you in a weak state. And that's what God does for us. We receive the greatest blessings of the times that we spent with God, the communion, the sweetest times of his presence when we're weak. Why? Because of what it says in Job 12, 21. He weakeneth the strength of the mighty. God weakeneth the strength of the mighty. As if if God's saying, you're too strong. You're too mighty for me to give you this great blessing. I I need to weaken your strength. Job 12, 21. Job 12, 21. God weakeneth the strength of the mighty. And that's what God did with Gideon. Gideon, you might want to turn to this, Judges 7, 1 through 7. It's a very interesting passage here that Gideon, and you know this, of what happened here. It says in this passage, Dan Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Harad so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned to the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. So we can figure out what that means. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people yet are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I'll try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I shall say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whosoever I say unto thee, it shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. 
So he brought down the people under the water. The Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth him. He set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth himself on his knees. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T O M C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.